I think for prayer and spirituality just in general, you know, the results are kind of uneven. Like there isn't like a clear, if I do this, if I do this practice, I will get this result. Like it's not, it's not like that. Hi there, friends, and welcome to episode 86 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. My name is Matt Bruff. I'm a pastor in a Presbyterian church in Winnipeg. I'm an author, and I'm thrilled that you have decided to join me today for this episode with Ed Szeszki. Ed is an author and has a new book that is coming out called Reconnect, Spiritual Restoration from Digital Distraction. And Ed and I had this conversation actually back in December, and uh, it's just kind of been sitting on my computer waiting for the right moment. Um, And so we talk about his book coming out for uh, pre-order, but it is pretty much now. So this book releases uh, in just a few days from now as I'm recording this intro on May 28th. 2020 and uh the book comes out i believe in just a couple of days so uh, it should be there for you yeah june 2nd is the release date for this book um so we talk a bunch about this uh we thought we might have gotten around to talking about a couple of other books that ed has written that i'm a big fan of in particularly uh this one book flee be silent pray Ancient Prayers for Anxious Christians. Um, We don't get around to talking about that in the interview at all. When I re-listened to it, I realized we spent so much time talking about this idea of digital distraction, um, how our phones can sometimes take over our lives. And uh, it might feel a little strange to be looking at this kind of book right now and having these kinds of conversations right now because we're dealing with Uh, an unprecedented time when many of us are having to spend more time online. And, um, but I actually think that as I was listening to this and reflecting on what Ed shares with us, uh, that this is really important in this moment um, to really think carefully about how we're intentionally using our technologies and uh, when it is really time to put those down Uh, especially in times when that might seem harder, when we might be relying even more on online technologies, social media, to feel as though we're connected. Um, There's a whole section of this interview that talks about this feeling of connection and whether that is actually what's really going on. Are we actually more connected? Or is this maybe causing disconnection? Uh, So yeah, I think this is a really important conversation right now. Um, I've had the chance to read the book, and it's a really excellent book, Uh, so I highly recommend uh, going and checking it out, Uh, and I hope you enjoy this interview today, Uh, and um, yeah, as we put out more of these, uh, I hope you continue to uh, listen and uh, feel free to reach out, participate, leave a review and a rating on iTunes or wherever you're getting your podcasts. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoy this one. Uh, today on the podcast, I have Ed Szeszki. Uh Ed, it is so great to have you on. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, um, Ed and I met actually at the Festival of Faith and Writing. We were just talking about that off air um, at a, a writer's retreat that Ed runs just before that event. Um, and, uh, and then we've been talking about doing an interview um, for a year and a half 
with with long spaces between the emails to connect. Um, yes. So I, it's kind of funny, actually. Um, one of the things that we want to talk about today is uh, an upcoming book that Ed has coming out um, called Reconnect. And so it's kind of funny. It's nice to to reconnect after having long spaces of not right, really connecting go. with each other. <laughs> Bring it full um, yeah, we first we fled, we fled, and we were silent. We prayed, and then we were reconnected. That's, that's right. <laughs> um, so, kind of two, uh, kind of Ed's most recent book, um, and then this other one coming out. The most recent book is called "Flee, Be Silent, Pray: uh, Anxious Prayers." Uh, sorry, ancient ancient prayers. ancient prayers for anxious Christians. That was good. Ancient right. prayers for anxious Christians. And then uh, the upcoming book um, that'll be out uh, in summer 2020 um, called Reconnect, Spiritual Restoration from Digital Distraction. And uh, you were gracious enough to, to give me a, a little preview copy. So I've had a chance to read through that a little bit. Um, not gone through the whole thing yet, but it's, it looks really great. So um, listeners should just go and grab your books. That's what they should do. Um, but yeah, we can we can have a, a good conversation about about these, and there's there's some overlap between the book, the two books as well. Um, but I'd love to kind of dive in on on the upcoming book that's out because you've it's already written, and and so you're you're bringing your uh, your expertise and your uh, thoughtfulness to this. And one of the things that I really appreciated about this book in particular is how thoughtful you are, and that's not unusual in your writing. At least I don't think so. Um, it's, it's really well written and just the depth of the writing is, uh, you don't stay on the surface with, with this stuff. Um, so I'm going to ask maybe a bit of a surfacey question, but I'm going to assume that, uh, that we'll dive a bit deeper into it. Um, because this book is, um, like the subtitle kind of captures it, spiritual restoration from digital distraction. And so I'm just going to ask generally, well, what is actually the problem with technology um, or yeah. social media, and and what does that have to do with our spirituality? All right. Well, I'll be about an hour answering that question. Right? Yeah, there we go. I'll uh, I'll stop you at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so when I when I think about Christians and technology, you know, I so let's imagine a typical church where it's like a lot of times you think of technology as a tool that it's a neutral tool, and in a lot of ways it is like it's just a phone, it's a piece of electronics, but if we dive into what it's designed to do, the way that people use it, it's, it's kind of like a, a mobile billboard. Like these aren't charitable causes that we're <laughs> using. And so, yeah, they, they help us and I use them. Like, and so the point of the book isn't not to use your phone. It's to not be used by your phone. That huh. it's designed to capture your attention. So there is no incentive by the app makers, app designers, by smartphone designers to get you to use your phone less. And that's actually what happened is all these whistleblowers came out of Silicon Valley saying like, hey, we pointed out how toxic and how harmful these devices can be for people. And there's no incentive for the companies to make you use them less. Hmm. And so all the features that we are kind of familiar with are actually designed to make them irresistible. And even the people who made those irresistible features, they can't resist them themselves, even though they, they wrote the code that makes it work. They, uh, the, one, the lady who helped design the like button on Facebook, the little red, uh, not, not like button, the little red like notification button, notification get a like. Yeah. Um, she doesn't use Facebook. She pays someone to use Facebook for her. 
for her wow. <laughs> for her business now after she left Facebook. And she said that it was it tied it became a sense of self worth where it became this moment of distraction of affirmation. And the the reality is that I promote or I I I talk about the book in terms of distraction, but it's a lot deeper than dis- distraction. That's just the thing that we kind of recognize as we think, oh, I'm I'm distracted by this, but it starts to get into deeper issues of our our self worth or how we medicate ourselves when we're uh, fearful or sad or, or worried. And what studies have found over and over and over again is that you know if you are lonely, a smartphone can make things a lot worse. If you're right. stressed out and you want to zone out a bit, smartphones are kind of the worst thing to turn to. And so a lot of people say to me, "Oh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna zone out a little bit with my phone." That's the worst way to use it. The best way to use it is to use it with intention and boundaries and like a clear like goal of connecting with somebody. But just to go to Facebook, just to scroll through or just to scroll through Instagram, um, there it's designed to hook you. And again, these are digital billboards, so it's kind of like they want you to see as many ads as possible to increase their revenue. And so there's no reason to make it less irresistible. And so when this plays into spirituality, we have issues of time. You lose your time, you lose your attention. You're craving this quick hit of affirmation. Uh, it's, you know, some researchers have compared it to giving people candy when they need food. Right. And so it's really easy to eat candy or sweets or a donut, if you're me. But to eat something that's substantial, it just it takes time to prepare it, to make it, and to to eat it, digest it, and to see the benefits from it. And over time, you start your body starts to feel better. But it's not the same as that quick hit of the the sweet. And so that's a lot what social media is like. It it trains us to crave those quick hits instead of the deeper work of spirituality that that um, cultivates attention and awareness. And over time, you start to notice, hey, I, I feel really good because I've been doing these spiritual practices. But it's easier to live day to day in this like reactive mindset of just, you know, you turn to Twitter and like, what's the, the new thing to be angry about? And it just becomes this default setting. And then, you know, no wonder why people are having a hard time praying. And they tell me like, I'm always distracted when I pray or I have a hard time focusing or mm-hmm. My thoughts are too busy to pray. It's like, well, of course, because we are immersed in technology where its designers have absolutely no incentive to to help us cultivate healthy practices that, you know, can make us live better, healthier, more aware of lives. It's, you know, they have every incentive to keep our attention. And so that all filters into our spirituality and how we're training ourselves to live our lives day to day. Yeah. Wow. There's, yeah, there's tons there. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you think, do you think people know that they're, do you think people know that they're addicted to like, can we go that far? Like, can we go, can we say like, basically like a lot of people are addicted to their phones or. So what, what I found in the studies is that there's a lot of researchers who are frustrated about this because people say it's not addiction because it's not the same as, you know, substance abuse. Right. Uh, it is a it is a behavioral addiction. And so that's where things get a little bit tricky. But right. yes, I think it is it is an addiction of 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 a kind. Right. Do you, and, and do you think people are aware like are people just not aware? Is that kind of I think that most people so if I if I went into a room and said, 
how many of you have seen someone distracted by their phone right ever at a restaurant or whatever yeah right it's like we've all got that story of seeing a parent who is holding the phone up in front of the kid and the kid's going mom 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 or dad dad you know we all have those stories we see other people doing that but then it's like if i ask you know when were you distracted by your phone and it's like well and then we start to kind of say like well it was a really important text message i got or it was an email i had to answer right you know we start to come up with reasons and you know, I think that one of the most revealing things is that when we've, you know, we've kind of done some informal surveys and people are generally aware that they're distracted by their phones. Yeah. They're not aware of how much time they're spending. Like if you ask people right. to go into like, you know, iPhone has the, um, screen, the time. screen time tracking, yeah. you know, people are shocked by the amount of time they spend on their phones. A lot of people, they average like four hours on their phone a day. Yeah like a part-time job. And so we are, you know, I think we are aware on a certain level, but we don't realize the extent of it. And then the next step is also all the mental health uh, concerns. And, and that could be anything from just kind of feeling a little bit sad because you've been on social media for a while and maybe comparing your life to other people or trying to waiting for affirmation to something you've posted or you've been in an argument. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. kind of that like low level mental health. So like serious, like, loneliness, depression, and, you know, uh, psychologist Jean Twenge, I think it is T-W-E-N-G-E, she saw, you know, depression rates skyrocket among teens right around 2010. And that's right when the iPhone hit about 50% market share Hmm. uh, in 2010. And so that's the only thing, and it just continues to, to go up. Because teens are immersed in these devices that, uh, you know, we, we pick them up for really good reasons and we maybe think that we use them a little too much, but we don't realize just how much they are impacting and changing us. And that's why a lot of people who recommend, um, you know, when when people talk about changing your phone use, a lot of them recommend some kind of a 30 day, you know, just purge or cleanse or whatever, where it's just, you just fast from it completely. Right. just to reorient yourself around this is what life is like without a phone. And then <laughs> after that, then you like add it back in gradually because we just, most of us really aren't aware of the extent. We know like a little bit, but I think that when you do 30 days without using your phone, it's, it's just blows your mind. Right. Right. Um, so like even when you, you, when you first said the word phone, you said the word phone a lot here, but when you first said the word phone, I immediately went, Oh, where's my phone? Right. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and part of that is we're on a podcast and usually my phone is, is right next to me. Um, it isn't today actually. Um, usually it's right next to me and I, and I'd forgotten to silence the silence, anything like turn everything off so that it doesn't beep in the podcast. Um, but I wonder like, why is that such an automatic reaction that someone says the word phone and I'm like, Oh, wait a second, where is mine? Like, right. I, I would check my pocket instantly just to, you know, make sure, oh, oh, it's here. Okay. Like, it, so, so maybe I'm, addi- <laughs> like maybe I'm addicted to it even just as yeah. a thing. Um, yeah. And then some of it, as I was reading your book today, this morning, I was thinking there's a, there's a game that I play. I think I have maybe two, maybe two games on my phone, um, which I, which I, I think, okay, that's not too much. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe okay. And there's a game I play on there called wordscapes. It's like you, you basically just uh, are looking for words, whatever. Uh, 
kind of like a Scrabble type game or whatever. Yeah. And uh, and I'm too cheap to pay to remove the ads off of the off of the game because I want to sure. just play for free. So I just endure the ads. Um, but most of the ads are for other games, and often their their tagline in these games are "This game is so addicting." Right. And I think does yeah. that work on does that work on people? Like I I look at that and I think. Okay, that's the last game I would ever buy then, because I don't actually want to be addicted to a game. Right, right. Um, uh, but I wonder if maybe, as I was reading your book, I was thinking maybe it does work because if anything was going to convince me to pay for the full version of this game that I actually enjoy, it would be an ad like that that's telling me you should get this other game that's really addicting. <laughs> so, right, right. But wow, like is somebody like really working on the psychology of what messaging I need to get in order for me to give them money? Like that's it got me your book got me worried about like well what's actually going on here and well uh, so actually that's a really great point about the psychology because mm-hmm. like silicon valley has merged together technology and psychology yeah and yeah. so the person uh it's it's this uh uh bj fogg he's at the stanford uh institute and they they basically study persuasive design like it's yeah. all about persuading people with technology. And so his stuff has been used to help people stop smoking. So it's, you know, there are good applications, but all these people who work at Facebook and Instagram and all these other tech startups, a lot of them went to his class and learned the psychology of persuasion and basically addiction about how to keep people addicted to give people the rewards to activate, you know, uh, you know, activate the reward center in their brains and then they keep coming back for more. So right. I think that addiction almost, you know, with games has become positive in the sense that it's engaging, that it's like you you want to play it. Mm-hmm. And there is an element of, of escapism, I think, in all of this too. I think that, you know, and I, I mentioned this in Reconnect, that not to put too fine a point on things, but there is that sense where um, as a society we are trying to escape some of those big existential questions and the dread, you know, and I think that for, for me and for a number of other people, you know, the 2016 election for us in America became kind of like a watershed moment of kind of existential dread. Mm. And it, um, you know, it, it's someone, you know, there's, there's someone in the American presidency who has, access to nuclear weapons and denies climate change. And there was that existential crisis where, you know, I don't, I don't trust that man. You know, I grew up in Philadelphia when I was a kid uh, in the eighties reading in the paper about him and, and all the different things that he did to con people. So I, you know, there was that existential crisis of, you know, facing climate change and, and nuclear war and, and things like that. And in addition to just the day-to-day kind of insanity of social media and that, that all kind of is, is in the background of this book and my, my own story of saying like, you know, is, is my phone really helping me right now? Is it actually, you know, keeping me like connected, right? That's like the Facebook marketing line is we connect people. That's what we do. We, we bring people together. And what I found is that it, it does a lot more to fragment people that, you know, it may, it may bring people together, but it almost brings people together in conflict or it, it feeds 
parts of our lives that are you know insecure or worried or anxious or fearful so that was all part of just you know what i felt like i needed to explore in this book hmm. yeah i actually i wouldn't mind just saying like before people potentially just go oh this is just going to be a podcast about how social media is bad and um right. <laughs> and do it less you know um yeah. i i actually think I wouldn't mind asking like, well, what is actually, what is actually good? Like if, if Facebook yeah. say does fragment as I would, I would agree with you that I don't think it does a lot to bring people together um, yeah. or connect people. What is actually good about technology or good about social media? Like what um, should maybe doing a detox and then kind of bring it back in. That's a good idea, but yeah. um, mm -hmm. but, but you know, or, or is it better to just say like, let's just, complete like let's not use this and then just figure out how do we minimally use it for whatever it, as a tool is that is that the way forward or are there are there actually good things about any of this right yeah i mean to start with the detox that that could be kind of a steep climb for some people yeah uh the other way to think about it is can i can i just use it a little bit less and replace it with something else and so mm -hmm. Uh, just to see, like, are there other things, you know, so for instance, I, I think a lot of people have ended up using social media just in the evening, and maybe you watch TV and you tweet about something you're watching too, and that can be fun, like, you know, if you're, like, watching a, a big sporting event, say, like, you know, the Stanley Cup final, you know, it's fun to, like, see what people are saying about it on Twitter too, like, that's, that's yeah you know, could be entertainment. But like then, when we have um, the, when, when it's the Philadelphia Flyers against the Winnipeg Jets in the Stanley Cup final. Right. I will expect that we will be communicating about that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Live tweeting. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll turn off my blocking software for that. Okay. So, yeah. um, so here's the thing, like you can use social media in like really good ways. Like, you know, people raise money. Sure. Uh, for others, you know, like someone did a, a fundraiser for a writer who had some, you know, medical debt and uh, Marlena Graves organized that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was a really good use of social media. Um, there are different Facebook groups that I belong to where it's, you know, all these writing colleagues I don't see on a regular basis, but we, we use the groups. And so I, I block a regular news feed, but I use those Facebook groups to connect with them. Right. Um, you know, I try to make a point of going on Twitter and, and I'm, I try to be selective about who I follow. I have, a, I have a time limit for myself. I use, you know, different blocking softwares too to limit the times that I can get on. But, you know, I go on and learn from people. I learn from activists and, and thinkers who are maybe different from my own background. So hmm. there are great uses. I mean, even in Reconnect, I talk a lot about, you know, what are some other activities you can add into your life that are more mindful and more aware and help you become more present in the moment and more aware for others, more present for prayer. And for me doing uh, pastel, uh, pastel drawing has been really big. So I'm, I'm on YouTube a lot. I'm on YouTube more than I've ever been, but I'm watching pastel tutorials, right? And so there's right. like a kind of a boundary or a limit. It's not just, oh, I'm going to see whatever, you know, silly videos on here. And then they have the autoplay function where it keeps, you know, yeah. basically a, a supercomputer that's like, all right, we know what Ed likes now. We're going to keep giving it to him. And I'm just going to kind of check out from life. It's more about, I'm going to mindfully use this hour 
to make a, a drawing and hopefully I'll be good enough to give it as a gift to people or to, you know, raise money someday with it or, or whatever. I don't know. Like I, I, you know, it could be something that could be really useful someday. Um, but right now it's just, it's a practice, you know, each week where I'm on YouTube for a couple hours and I do a different drawing and that's a really great use for technology. And that's, you know, I think that's kind of like when we like sell technology, right? It's like everyone's doing virtual reality. Now they're all selling the games of virtual reality headsets, which from what I've read so far in the research, they're very, very addicting. Yeah. Now my son's school has virtual reality headsets for, you know, you can pretend to like walk on the moon and wow. that's really fun. And we say, like, look at all the educational opportunities, but there's also that dark side of you could be like immersed in an alternate reality of a video game for hours. And, you know, people have to go to these like detox centers in the woods, you know, to <laughs> make wow. themselves stop. So, yeah, yeah. You know, so I think that we have to, we can't get lost in what we could gain. We have to look at what we could also lose in the process. And that's, that's a big part of the discussion is that we can't just focus on here's all the good stuff we could get. It has to also be, here's what we could lose if we don't have good boundaries and limits around these things. Mm-hmm. And I think um, this, this maybe connects to, to, there's a chapter that you have in the book, actually, that I think is quite helpful for churches. So if there are church leaders who are listening, like it'd be a really good idea. Um, it's kind of how churches uh, have perhaps this uncritical use of technology or particularly social media um, and I, there was one line, I, did, I should have written it down, but there was this line uh, that you had there about it, churches kind of often have this criticism lately and so that they're behind the times in technology, but actually they might act, they, what might be worse is that they're, they're behind the times on the uncritical use of technology. They haven't actually thought through, they just kind of adopt something or, you know, think, oh, we can just take the gospel and put it in the package of an Instagram feed and that's going to create, you know, how do we create engagement and just using those practices without actually thinking them through. Um, So I found that was a very helpful chapter that I think church leaders should probably read. (laughs) Um, But I'm not sure I have a question there, Um, but I wonder about, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you have something to comment on about how churches kind of might be, uh, complicit, but also might just be adding to individuals in those churches, just feeling like, oh yeah, this is just part of, this is fine. This is normal. This is, yeah, that there isn't an alternative being presented, I guess. Right. Yeah. So let's think about this. So um, nowadays in a church, maybe you know, I go to an Episcopal church. So like, we're all like, everything's on paper, basically, <laughs> you know, like we're not doing this, but you know, technology is. And paper is technically a technology, but. Right, right. Okay. It's pretty sure. old technology. But. <laughs> digital, digital technology. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, you got me. So digital technology is, is, you know, like people have screens or projecting song lyrics or projecting videos sure. they're uh, encouraging people to bring their phones in because you can, do childcare check-in on your phone. Uh, you can tweet comments or questions to the sermon. And so like each like thing individually by itself, it's like you can you can see the, the logic of it, right? Like it's cheaper to project the songs up on the screen, you know, you know, but then once you get that video screen, it's like, well, what else could we do on the videos? Like what other videos could we do? Right. Um, you know, you had the childcare check-in on on the phone. 
And that's like, great, you can like send messages, but you know, what are we doing to people's attention now during worship? It's like, you have a reason to check your phone, to be on your phone. And or, or another thing that I saw was people taking pictures of worship, right? you know, and posting them on Instagram, which is like, you know, here's your testimony, share what church is like for you. And I can see that. But then at the same time, we're now curating our worship experience. Like we're like mm-hmm. stepping back from the experience of worshiping God to document it, to show to other people. Like there's, there's just a line that gets kind of fuzzy where, yeah. when, you know, when are we engaging and when are we kind of disengaging to document this? And when are we taking our attention away from God to be aware of our phone? And it's like, we're surrounded by our phones all the time. So maybe, uh, and this is something I pulled this from is, uh, you know, in Reconnect, I pull a lot from uh, Howard Thurman mm-hmm. uh, and Thomas Merton. Uh, they both just wrote a lot about technology and it's like, people are like immersed in this stuff. So maybe the church could be a refuge from that. Mm. And maybe, and maybe, you know, like Thomas Burton was surrounded by all the new like farm technology. And so, you know, it made the, made the monastery more efficient, made the monastery more profitable, but it also changed how the monks worked. It changed how they prayed because now they're driving tractors around and instead of, working in the fields. And so, you know, and Howard Thurman saw people, you know, still surrounded by like just newspapers and radios. And, and he, he saw the church as this refuge where people could get away from that. And that's, there's, there's wisdom there, I think, to consider about how can the church become an alternate culture of, of stillness, of silence, of uh, being present and aware. And so, yeah, like maybe we can't play the social media game uh, full speed ahead for keeps like, you know, but I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily good for us, spiritually speaking, to just say, like, here are the social media best practices in the business world, let's drop them into the church. And we'll put the gospel message in our tweets and in our Instagram posts, and we'll, you know, we'll gain influence. And, and so like, sure. yeah, you might get a lot of followers, but are we, are we really engaging people in life change? And, and maybe you can point to that person like you know my dad got saved watching a charles stanley video on tv Mm -hmm. and so you know i'm not gonna diss television preachers but again like that's a technology where we can ask you know are people missing out on something do we lose something even in that that process and Uh, do you think maybe there's like a question of um like, is it a question of having some, I don't love the word balance, but I'm going to use the word balance, having some balance or having some, like, is there, is there a way to do like mixed use? Like I can imagine right. a scenario where it's like, well, you know, I'd like everyone to look at, like, I've done this in preaching. We don't have uh, spaces for Bibles to exist in our, in our seats. Um, so there's some right. Bibles at the back of the church, but most people don't grab one when they go and sit down and, there's sometimes I preach a sermon and and I want people to look specifically at the text. So I it's either yeah. going to be projected on our screen or, or I'll say, you know, if you brought your Bible, pull that out. Or if you have your phone, you can look it up on the Bible, uh, you know, pull it out. And, and so I encourage people to, to look at the Bible on their phone. Yeah. But equally, should I be looking for opportunities then as a, as a worship leader to say, you know, I do see people like who have their phone out and, at, you know, maybe they're looking at scripture on the phone or maybe they're t- taking a picture of the, the, the 
cute baby or maybe they're, you know, whatever it is they're doing, but maybe there's space for me to say, let's intentionally turn all of our phones off right now. And we're going to have for the next 20 minutes of worship, you know, maybe it's while we're having communion or maybe, you know, but maybe even be directive about that. And just maybe that helps people think intentionally about their use as opposed to, um, just not, just not commenting on it. Like we don't, we don't think about it really. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of different ways you could go about that. That's a great observation that, you know, again, like one of my most popular blog posts that I've written is all about how, you know, I found myself using my smartphone too much. So I put a bunch of prayer apps on it. Right. So it's like, <laughs> take that bad habit of pulling my phone out all the time. And I, when I pull it up, I don't have hockey articles. I don't have social media. I've got prayer, prayer apps. And so then it's like, oh, well, I guess I should do this. <laughs> you know? right, right. And so, uh, you know, if people are going to use their phones, like, yeah, like definitely direct them into positive ways of, you know, of looking up a Bible verse. And I think that's, that can be a good application for it. And I think that, I think how we frame it is we have to avoid the judgmentalness of it sure. as far as, you know, encouraging people to put their phones down, but to say yeah. like, Hey, here's, here's an invitation just to be free from it. Yeah. Here's an invitation to, to not think about what's on there and what you might find and to give your mind some rest. And so I think if we, if we can frame it that way, because I think that's what it is. I don't think that's, you know, mm-hmm. just messaging. I think that's actually the substance of it. We actually had in our, in our church, we did a, a re- we've done a retreat for the last couple of years. It's just a day long uh, retreat. Yeah and for all ages. Um, and, um, in the first year that we planned it, it was mostly some of our university students who were involved in planning it. Um, and they actually were the ones who suggested maybe for the day, what we tell everyone at the beginning is no phones. Right. And, um, and we did soften it a little bit because we did realize at the end of this, we're actually going to want some pictures of our time together. (laughs) So and no one's bringing cameras. They've all got phones. So, so we did kind of say, right. well, we're going to, you know, take some pictures. That's fine. But that's it. You can pull your phone out to take a picture, but then you put it away right away. Um, don't worry about where the picture is going to go yet. You know, <laughs> you can right. do that after right. the retreat's okay. over. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so I think that was quite good. And it was, it was helpful for me. Like it wasn't me who brought that suggestion. That was that, that group of uh, university students, um, kind of in conversation, them just feeling like um, they're always plugged in and they wanted the retreat to truly be a retreat. Um, right. So exactly. I, thought, I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. We've said a little bit about how do we resist social media or how, how might we prioritize human connection I feel like there's something maybe even about noticing our own use. Um, and this may also connect to spiritual practices too. But I know for me, uh, it might, might have been something that you you wrote that sparked this for me. Um, I think you spoke about, you know, your son asking you to play Lego. Yeah. And so I, I wonder if you can just tell that story. Because that resonated for me, a very similar thing. My daughter likes to play Lego. And I found, you know, there's been one or two times where she's said, are you coming to play? And I realized I'm on my phone. And what am I actually doing right now? Am I, 
you know, there have been a, you know, maybe I, there was, I, maybe I started with like, I'm sending an email and it's for work and it needs to go and needs to go now. But suddenly I've like, now I'm checking Instagram or. Right. And there's my daughter right there and I'm not playing with her. Yeah. So I, I feel yeah. like you had a similar story to that. Yeah. It, it was my birthday. And so what I usually do each day is I only use social media on my computer. You can set certain websites and you, based on those websites, you can set time on it. So like for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, I get 20 minutes total each day Mm -hmm. on my computer. You realize um, just how long it takes to like make comments and leave comments with people. And I, so on my birthday, I added Facebook back onto my tablet just to reply to the comments, say thank you. And, you know, within a couple of minutes, I started scrolling down through my newsfeed and my son calls out and says, Hey, can you, you know, can you come help me with my Lego set? And this is back when they actually wanted me in the room to help them. Now, now it's only if they're like missing a piece, you know, and <laughs> otherwise it's like, get out, you know, it's our, our time. Um, we're in charge here. But back then, you know, my son asked me to, to help him help him out. And I said, sure, I'll be right there. Like every parent would do or just a minute. But then I was scrolling through my newsfeed, just lost track of time. And, you know, what I realized is that Facebook, again, like their marketing slogan is, you know, we connect people, we bring people together. <laughs> like I didn't connect with anybody. I was just basically like passively observing uh, little snapshots of what people were thinking. I wasn't really you know, aware or present for anybody. I wasn't looking anyone in the eye. And, and like, so yes, like people can use social media in great ways to raise money. People can reach out to others and make connections. And I've done all that through Facebook. I've, I've kept in touch with people. Sure. But at the same time, I wasn't actually connecting with my son. And he, and he eventually called out and was like, daddy, like, when are you coming? And I was like, oh, right, sorry. And it was like, I like tapped on that app and deleted it right there because it was just really obvious that you know, no, no matter how much I know, no matter how much I learn about social media, when you start using it, it, ha- it does have a way of just sucking you in. And so, hmm. uh, and, and that actually brings us up to another issue too for Christians is that we, a lot of times we make it like a sin issue of like, well, I'm just not strong enough spiritually. I'm just not uh, holy enough or, or whatever, whatever language you want to use to say that you're not enough something, right? Hmm. And we don't take into account, and that's even like, you know, uh, Andy Crouch's really good book, TechWise Family, really good ideas, very practical, but there's still kind of an assumption I think that people could bring to that book and say, uh, it's up to me. And what I want to say in my book is that there are a lot of things against you. And so if you have a hard time putting it down, that's for a reason. It's designed to be really hard to put down. And so, you know, you can take actions to make it better but it's not just up to us. It's that these technology companies and app designers are, you know, they're basically exploiting human psychology. And that's what, that's not just some like crack, you know, conspiracy theory. Uh, it's actually what the people who design these things are saying about them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that part of the book where you were talking about, um, uh, you know, the technology companies will have, you know, hundreds of, uh, they basically have access to hundreds of psychologists, hundreds of engineers. And in the end, you also have like a thousand supercomputers 
that are like all of that is working against your your mind. <laughs> right. Um, right. So we might feel like, oh, I just don't have enough willpower. Like you beat ourselves up, or if only I could be a little more. Uh, if only I could be a little better. It's like, well, yeah, there's a lot working against you. Um, that's trying to get you to. Um, in the end, like with Facebook, especially, a lot of times it's like they're selling they're selling advertising, right? And that's going to be really tailored. If anybody's looked at how Facebook ads actually work, um, I, I've used them myself um, for, you know, advertising an event or something like that. And um, it's pretty scary the amount of detail that Facebook can uh, serve those ads to people without giving away privacy details to the to the ad people. Um, right. They can have very targeted ads based on uh, human psychology and behaviors and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's pretty scary what, what is possible there. Yeah. Um, all right. So what do people do with all of this and their spirituality? Like how do people actually move from, okay, maybe I'm going to reduce, maybe I'll replace some of my screen time with prayer time or human connection time. Are like are there certain practices that you've found helpful in particular in relation to kind of getting off of digital uh, distraction mode? <laughs> right. Yeah, and so what's really fascinating with all of this is just how this all kind of ties into contemplation and silent prayer and and a lot of the things that I discussed in my book, Flee Be Silent Pray. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like flee, be silent, pray, and reconnect, they're both driven by a similar question of what gets in the way of prayer. So for flee, be silent, pray, it was the anxiety of thinking, I never can pray enough. I can never be good enough for God. And so flee, be silent, pray was a lot, was dealing with a lot of those uh, misconceptions about, you know, trying to perform in some way through prayer or trying to be good enough for God. And then in reconnect, it's a lot more about applying prayer practices to our distracted technology driven world. And so what's really helpful, I think, is to just think about, you know, how do people live their lives who aren't in the throes of technology? And can we learn something? So can we learn from, you know, the monks and nuns who they have a daily prayer rhythm, a daily prayer schedule. And so, you know, they're not at the mercy of, of their phones or technology of, of, what life throws at them. There's a kind of regularity to prayer. Hmm. And so whether that's morning prayer and and afternoon and evening, or, you know, I I use the divine hours Mm -hmm. prayer book, um, you know, have time for, for silence each day, you know, 10 to 20 minutes. And, And so the teachers of contemplative prayer say in a perfect world, you could do 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes in the afternoon or evening, but like just, just set like boundaries or times that can help you. And, and in reconnect, I get into how, you know, the people who designed all this habit research or who designed these devices are using habit research. We can use a lot of those same habit um, practices and, and all that research into habits to help us pray more. So, you know, give yourself like a trigger or a prompt that reminds you to pray. So when I get in the car each morning, I sit in silence. I I don't put any podcast on or anything. Sorry, sorry, Matt. Um, right. I'm on yeah. a podcast here, so. <laughs> but you know, if I want to listen to a podcast, it has to be after twelve o'clock. 
And mm. so I always know that if I'm in the car in the morning, I'm going to be silent. I'm going to breathe deeply. I'm going to be aware. And you know, maybe I'll put on some uh, to say chants. Uh, maybe I'll put on the, uh, the examine podcast. You know, there's different things you could do, but just, you know, give yourself some boundaries or routines that become just automatic. Because that's kind of, that's basically what monks do is they have times where they, they work. Like a lot of them, you know, they, they do some kind of a job and then they stop for prayer. And so that's, that's a good way to think about it and give yourself some time to, to reflect and examine where you're at. So whether that's a formal examine process of looking back on your day with gratitude and asking where God was, you know, and that, that kind of spiritual practice, um, that's, if you look up the Ignatian examine online, there's lots of good questions and yeah, we've done we we've done a, a few podcast episodes on the examine. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, there's a, that's a a favorite resource of mine to go to. So mm-hmm. yeah, and and so and what I say to people is like start small, like start with like a minute, you know, start with like a journal entry. Just take one examine question and write a journal entry about it. Write a sentence, you know, like get yourself into a routine of being reflective and aware to have daily silence, you know, and, and maybe like reward yourself too. Like, and not, these aren't like amazing rewards, but like buy yourself a book on prayer, like open mind, open heart by Thomas Keating. Hmm. I always get it mixed up if it's open heart, open mind or open mind, open heart. I don't remember either. <laughs> In any case, it's, it's out in the other room. Um, but, you know, like make, make prayer more interesting by, buying a book by people who can teach you like Cynthia Bourgeau has a book too with just a ton of information about prayer. And just, you know, if, if you, you know, like all my Enneagram fives out there, you know, who want lots of information, get Cynthia Bourgeau because she has a ton of information about, you know, prayer, Um, you know, and so find, find the things that make prayer more engaging and interesting. Um, I have a spiritual director and that's just someone who, kind of helps me uh, look back on my life and, and see where God's working just because I think it's hard for me to stop. So, you know, I think people kind of beat themselves up trying to find like the way, the cookie cutter mm-hmm. way to spirituality, but there's so many different ways to start it and, and to create that space in your life. Right. I think one of the things for me has been like, what do I actually, like, what do I actually want to pay attention to? Because I sort of feel like when it comes to, especially social media, or even like a Netflix series or whatever, or for me, like watching hockey or watching soccer, I don't, I don't want to miss, like, I don't want to miss out, essentially. It's not, I guess it's fear of missing out in a way. Um, But I, you know, oh, or I just want to check in and see, you know, how things are with, my friends and I kind of feel like Facebook yeah. somehow or Instagram somehow are my friends, which I guess some of them are. Um, but if I think about like, what do I actually want to pay attention to or what do I, what do I want to notice around me? And I think most people would think, yeah, I do actually want to prioritize my son or my daughter over my Facebook feed. Yeah. Most people yeah. want, and, and, and it is like good for you to notice, oh, 
I notice what's happening right now. And I actually do want to prioritize my son, but then it's harder to do that with God because <laughs> right. God isn't there going, Hey, come play with play Lego with me. Um, right, right. <laughs> and, uh, but, but it might be good to imagine that maybe God is there saying, Hey, come play Lego with me. Um, right. or, you know, come and come and spend time with me. Like, enjoy being in in god's presence and and do we want to notice uh things about god do we want to pay attention to things about god um like and one of my favorite ways to do that the examine i find is very helpful because it's a reflective going back on your day and kind of noticing oh let me try to notice where where i feel like god was present or and notice you know what my feelings were about the day and, and where's god in that um and then uh, I find prayer walking is another one that's really helpful in noticing, especially if I'm out outside um, mm-hmm. and not going, I used to go for walks and listen to podcasts or audiobooks, And I still will do that every now and again, but then my preference started to become just not plugging into anything and, and really just paying attention to what is around me. Um, and then trying to notice, you know, is God saying something uh, through all of this? Um, right. And, and just trying to be in God's presence more. Yep. Um, so I think that I, it's sort of the same, in a way for me, it's sort of the same root desire that we might go to social media with, or even for me watching sports, um, like taking, and, and I'm still going to watch sports. I'm still going to watch the the Jets. I'm still going to watch uh, soccer. Um, but how do I take that same desire that is within me and say, well, oh, I actually, on second reflection, I actually do want that connection with God. Right. And so what am I going to do to to seek that out? Um, yeah. yeah it's sort of tapping into the same desires and not, uh, and maybe replacing some of the activities. Right. And there's also that, that sense of, I think that people are maybe like a little bit worried that maybe God isn't there or that God's mm-hmm. not going to show up for them. Yeah, maybe. Uh, that God shows up for other people, but not for them. Right. And I think for prayer and spirituality, just in general, you know, the results are kind of uneven. Like there isn't like a clear, if I do this, if I do this practice, I will get this result. Like it's not, it's not like that. Right. And I think that's by design, but that's the hard thing to maybe accept. And I know that I've had a hard time just talking to people about that who find that, you know, well, is God playing games with me? And it's like, well, no, but, um, you know, God doesn't, isn't like a comfort machine. Like God doesn't like just, you know, dispense, <laughs> you know, comfort as a commodity. Uh, but that, you know, there's a deeper, a deeper experience of being present and learning to trust in faith. And then there are moments when, you know, God's comfort does come to us. Uh, you know, but, I think that a big part of spirituality is, is realizing um, it's not going to look the way that I expect, but God's still going to show up in, in, in some way that there's going to be, right. God is going to be present, but we can't control it. And I think it could be really bad if we could control spirituality the way that we kind of want to, at least the way that I want to. Yeah, I think <laughs> it would so. be really bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think that's the really hard hurdle for people to get over is, you know, just just taking technology for a moment. Um, you know, the the results are really 
obvious and really, you know, immediate. And for prayer and, and spiritual practices, they're not always obvious and immediate. And so right. it gets it gets tricky to invest in that, and especially if there's some kind of a fear or background that people have with some kind of a wound or disappointment with God. It, it's hard to know where to start. And I don't know if I have like a really great, like, you know, answer for them, because I think that those are valid fears and worries, but I think that God can be present in ways that maybe they don't expect. And that could be really good too. Yeah, for sure. I realize uh, we, we are, we are really coming to the end of our time. I, this has been a great conversation, uh, Ed. Um, so I've really appreciated this. Uh, now it's always kind of funny because I ask people, um, how how can they connect with you usually online <laughs> so, <laughs> that's still okay right like that's <laughs> it's okay yeah 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 just do it with intention right don't just uh that's right just do it, if people want to know, intentionally honestly. connect with you in some way with the hopes of maybe meeting you one day in person how do people do that yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so i'm i have my website it's ed uh cyz EWSKI.com. Um, you know, all of my stuff's on Amazon, Flavie Silent Prey. People can reorder uh, a pre order. Um, you can also reorder it. Uh, people can pre order Reconnect. Yeah. Uh, that comes out June 2nd, 2000, uh, uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. And so that's all, it's all up there. And, you know, I'm also, I, I am on social media. I, I try to use it with limits and intention. Uh, so don't, don't show up on my social media feed and like get on me about, you know, people, listeners. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I too is it. I did try to, <laughs> you send out a periodic newsletter as well. Um, yeah. which I think is for me, I think it's quite good. I don't, I can't say that I read every single one of them. So, um, sure. but I do read the occasional one that comes through and I'm always happy to get those, uh, newsletters that, and not everybody loves those, but I, I would recommend um, people check that out. If they go to your website, actually do sign up for it. You can always unsubscribe, right? Um, yeah, people but, do. <laughs> but there's, yeah. And, and, but there's a few, like for me, I actually really appreciate there's a few people that I do uh, actually read their, their, their newsletters and find that there's really helpful and useful, thoughtful writing in those newsletters. And yours is one of those. Um, so I would, I would really recommend people, check that out if they want to want to hear more from you. Um, Cause those are a little slightly longer than just, Oh, I'm going to read whatever Ed might tweet. Um, right. If you're looking right. for a little more thoughtful stuff, the newsletter is actually really great for that. I think. Um, can I ask yeah. you one more thing? I know, I know I'd kind of close things off here, yeah. um, but I'm, I'm kind of curious about uh, these days about callings and, how people get into the work that they're doing. Um, so I'd love to hear briefly, if, if you can just uh, like your, do you, your primary vocation is really a writer, I, I would say. Right. Um, yeah. And I, how did you get, how did you get into that? How did that, uh, would you describe that as a calling? Is that, um, or is it just you stumbled into it? Like, how did you get into into writing as as the thing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just been part of who I am. It just feels like it's in my bones kind of thing. Where uh, from the age of twelve, I I was given a journal to write in, 
And I just went crazy with it. Like I just uh, couldn't stop. And I was writing my own stories um, in middle school. And I, I had teachers in high school telling me like that I, I really had a knack for it. And so um, it, it just has always been something that I've been drawn to. And I've always been the kind of person who is just thinking about stuff. I'm all, you know, and I've, I've learned over time to become comfortable with that, that I can be maybe in a group of people and, and not be really chatty. And, and I'm just, I'm just thoughtful. I'm thinking. And one thing led to another, uh, going to seminary and realizing that I didn't really fit into the typical mold of a pastor, uh, mm-hmm. in North in the American church <laughs> where it's lots of extroverts and I was much more introverted and, and writing just kind of came back to me. It's like, all oh, right, this is that thing that I've always loved. And, and maybe I should, yeah, I should think about doing this some more. And so I just kind of threw myself into it. And it's the kind of thing where I feel like I can't, I can't stop doing it. And there's always just something else to think about, to write about. And, you know, I might, I might slow down a little bit after reconnect. I felt like reconnect took a lot out of me as far as the amount of research. And it was just a, it's a heavy, hard book to write. And so I usually have like another idea, like it's like, you know, coming out, it's like, all right, next idea, here we go. And right now there does feel like there's a lot of contentment in what reconnect is and, and how it's going to help people. And, you know, but it's, it's always just, you know, writing has always been there for me. It seems like. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really cool. Thanks for, thanks for taking the moment to, to answer that. Cause I'm always curious kind of how people get into the, into the modes that they're in or the, the vocations yeah. or careers that they're in. All right. Thank you so much, Ed. Uh, it's been so great to talk to you today. Thanks so much, Matt.